I hope you've had an enriching couple of days so far. Uh, the theme, of course, of the conference is vision and voice. And so that's why I wanted to share with you my vision for symbiotic learning. I want to explain what that means. And to do that, I kind of need to tell you a story. I used to work under a head of mathematics who I have immense respect for. But one of the things I know he struggled with was a zero-sum game view of the way learning was in a school. He kind of viewed as the head of maths, you know, if he got less time because the head of English got more time, they won, he lost. And it was very competitive. And so to come back to that forest analogy for a second, I think he sort of viewed all of the different strands and KLAs, each like a different tree, kind of vying for space in the canopy, trying to fight for sunlight and compete with others. But I actually think, I want to drill into this metaphor and use it to explore something with you today. I actually think he got the wrong sense of the way that subjects relate to each other. I do think they are a little bit like a forest. I think they're specifically like this forest because these are redwoods, uh, redwood sequoias. They're famous in the US for how amazingly tall they are. But the most incredible thing about redwoods like these is not what happens when you look up at them. It's what happens when you look down at them. Now, Redwoods are tall. In fact, they're too tall. People modeled, botanists modeled these and said, redwoods shouldn't stand upright. When the wind blows, they should go right over because you can see they just go straight up like a very slender, thin pole that should just, as soon as a storm goes, they should all fall over. But they don't. They grow to these incredible heights for decades, for centuries. How do they do it? Well, I said, you have to look down. You have to look a little bit further down than this, in fact, you have to go down deep into the ground. Um, if you see some of these redwoods and you have a look just beneath the surface, what you find is that a forest is not a group of individual trees, an individual set of organisms. It's a superorganism that is all held together with this incredible root structure. This is how they don't blow over. They all hold together and so when the wind blows, they all keep each other strong. And this is kind of the metaphor that I think we should think about when we view our different disciplines, our different key learning areas. I think this is how it can relate symbiotically. Now, I want to give you some examples of this. I don't just want to say that it's, it's true. I want to illustrate it for you. Now, I don't know what it is that you see when you look at this Islamic tiling pattern, the kind that's found in mosques all around the world. But I see geometry. I see symmetry. I see this incredibly intricate tiling pattern that has angles, reflectional, rotational symmetry all around it. And this is by no means an isolated example. I don't know how many of you have heard of a 20th century Dutch graphic artist by the name of M.C. Escher. Uh, Escher would never have called himself a mathematician, but you take a single look at his artworks and it's hard to ignore how immensely beautiful and patent they are. Now, the visual arts, I love to call them out as a first example because creativity is not usually something we align with mathematics. I don't want to shatter that image right away. But of course, art is not where the links between mathematics and the other subjects end. For instance, I think about my colleagues who are physical educators. I think about the fact that every time any single one of us throws an object through the air under the force of gravity, it traces out the same perfect mathematical object every time. Uh, we call it, of course, a parabola. You may remember, or perhaps you're trying to repress that memory of quadratic equations that you learned back in year 9 and year 10. I learned about those, and I wasn't told that this is actually what they are in charge of modeling. 
there are these links, again, between mathematics and art, mathematics and PE. Think about mathematics and music. I think that music is the joy that we feel when we're counting but we don't know it. When you think about what rhythm actually means, about the design of an instrument, about the way that keys relate and harmonize, all of these things are beautiful mathematical patterns. Now, it's one thing for someone to tell you and give you examples of this. But look, as Darren mentioned earlier, I'm a classroom teacher. I have that hat firmly on, despite the fact that it's still the holidays. Uh, we know, right? You can take the teacher out of the classroom, but you can't take the classroom out of the teacher. So I want to give you an example of this, which requires you to get something to write on. Now, when I came in, in that bag, inside the big sort of um, booklet, the program, if you turn to the back, there's a place where you can write a few things. I've got, where is it? It's right near the back here. Here we go. This is the page I'm looking for. So what I'd love you to do now is if you could grab that out of your bag um, and a pen nearby. I have exactly one spare. Um, so if you'd like to borrow it from me, you can. I don't need it right now. Uh, I'm going to teach you how to play a game. And the game is called Sprouts. Now, you actually need to be with someone to do this. So I'd love you to just silently make eye contact with someone beside you. And between the two of you, you need somewhere to write or draw. And then we're going to play this game together, okay? Now, have you got, if you've got a blank piece of paper there, could you hold it up? I just want to see how many people have got one there. Perfect. Yes? Outstanding. Okay, thank you so much. On your blank piece of paper, between the two of you, yeah, move. It's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a nice, loud, interactive classroom. Here's what I'd like you to do. Between the two of you, I'd like you to, on your piece of paper, please draw some dots. I've got two here, but you're welcome to draw three or four. Maybe don't do any more than that because it'll take you a long time to play this game otherwise. Uh, but draw some dots, and then I'm going to teach you what to do with those dots to play this game. Okay? Now, once you've got those dots, one of you take your pen in hand, and you've probably got a few more than these on your page. Here's how you play the game. Okay? A turn looks like this. Take any two of the dots on your page and join them together. So whoever's the first player, go ahead, pick two dots, join them up. The line doesn't have to be straight. But importantly, um, the game is called Sprouts, and the reason for that is when you join two dots together, they sprout a new one. Okay, so go ahead, choose any two dots, join them, and then put a new dot in between. It doesn't have to be right in the middle, just somewhere between the two, okay? So that's the first thing, that's how you make a move. Join two dots. The second player has their turn now. They're going to do exactly the same thing. So pick any two dots and join them together. And just like before, you can form a new dot in the middle. And this is up to you. So you don't have to follow exactly what I'm doing. Join whichever dots you like. It's up to you. Okay. Now at this point, I again want to introduce a new rule. Can you see those dots have all these different lines coming out of them? Each dot has a maximum number of lines that's allowed to come out. And that maximum number is three. So I want you to look closely. There's four dots on the screen right now, but one of them has hit its maximum. It's hit three. Which one? Which is the one? Can you see? Right, it's, it's that one right in the middle. Do you see that? So if you get to the point where one of your dots is three lines out of it, maybe you want to put a cross through it to indicate you can't use it anymore. Okay? Now, this is how you're going to go this back and forth, back and forth. Player one's had a turn. That was player two's turn. Uh, I said you can join any two dots on the page, including, look carefully, don't miss this one. You can join a dot to itself. That's totally fine. Just draw a new dot in the middle. Lines can go anywhere you like so long as they don't cross. Okay? 
Ah, there's only one last rule, but it is the most important one because it's the one that tells you how to win the game. You're like, I don't know how to, what, what's the goal here, Eddie? The goal here is you're going to play back and forth, back and forth until no more moves are possible. You're going to play until no more moves are possible. And whoever makes the last move is the winner. So let me illustrate this for you with this game and then you get a go on yourself, okay? So you can have a look. There's all these choices. Here's the next move that goes. Um, some dots just hit their maximum. Which ones? Can you see? Is it those two? Those two are dead, right? Now look really carefully. Look carefully and take your eyes away at this move. What just happened? Do you see what just happened? How many dots are dead now? How many dots should I put across through? Can you give me a number of fingers? How many is it? One, two, it's two, right? The two that I joined together. Now look, you've got the next person who wants to make a move, right? But where are they going to go? They've got no other dots to join to. Uh, it can't join to itself either, why not? Because there would be too many lines coming out of that dot, right? So whoever just did that move is the winner. Now I'm gonna give you about three minutes three minutes to play this game on your own, work out who the winner is, and then I will tell you why we're playing this game once you're finished playing, okay? Three minutes, good luck. All right, now, thank you for playing ball with me. Could I get a show of hands? Who emerged victorious from their game? Who won? Hands up straight. Yay, congratulations, well done. Uh, I'm very proud of you, okay? Now, when I play this game with students and teachers alike, often their response will be, um, yes, so, so when are we gonna start doing the real maths? Because this doesn't feel like maths to a lot of people. It feels like, well, a game, I guess. It feels like play, but there's no numbers, at least none that I told you about. There's no calculations. But I want to illustrate for you how deeply mathematical this is. I'm aware of the fact that we, this is a national conference. There's people all over the country who've come here. But in New South Wales, in year 11 and 12, in the most popular level of maths, it's called Mathematics Standard. There's a topic and that topic is called networks. Now in networks, we study objects like these, collections of interconnected objects that, well I hope, bear more than a passing resemblance to that game of Sprouts that you just played, okay? Now what's powerful about these is that they can represent almost anything. Let me give you some examples. That network diagram that you just drew on your page, it might represent a literal computer Network, you know, one of those dots might be a server and then a printer and then a phone, etc. Um, this is a very literal way to interpret it. I live in Sydney's Northwest, so there's a particular network that I'm much more interested in now, which is, of course, the train network, okay? Now, this hopefully doesn't surprise you. We human beings, we design networks because when you connect things together, they're more useful. But it turns out nature loves a network as well. For example, I don't know if anyone remembers from two or three years ago, when the Asian bird flu was spreading across the world, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC in the United States, they had to create a network diagram to try and understand the path that the disease took all around the world so they could trace patient zero all the way back to Hanoi, Vietnam. That's right in the center of the diagram. Or perhaps if you're thinking that's a little bit intense and involved for me, something like, say, a food web, a food chain. These are simple examples of networks we see all around us. Now, these four examples here, I've picked them very deliberately. They are what you would call STEM examples, right? You've got sciences, biology down the bottom, you've got technology, you've got engineering. We're used to seeing mathematics connected to all these things. But those roots go deeper. It's not just this traditional subjects that find their connections to mathematics. For example, 
I don't know how many of you, when you were younger, like me, read these things called choose your own adventure books. Does anyone remember those, right? Yes, okay. So for the uninitiated, I can see a few facing the room that are too young to know what these books were. You would uh, get to the end of a page, right? It was, you know, escape from the mummy of, of the Gaza pyramid, right? And at the end of the page, instead of just turning to the next page, you would get a choice. You'd say, would you like to turn left down this corridor to escape from the mummy? Turn to page 15. Or would you like to turn right? Turn to page 47. And I don't know if I was the only one who sort of would stick their finger in and then just like flick, 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 page 15. Oh, I died. Okay, I meant, I meant the other page, right? Now what you're looking at here on the screen is a network diagram that represents all the paths you can take through this story. And if this is a bit old-fashioned for you, I don't know if there are any Netflix subscribers in the room. If you're familiar with the, uh, there's a sci-fi series called Black Mirror. And they released an episode earlier this year called Bandersnatch. As you watch the episode, same idea. You click on the screen to decide what the protagonist will do, and this is the story you can go through. This is a non-linear story, but even very linear stories are full of networks. Uh, my daughter, she's 11 years old, she's a big Harry Potter fan, and of course in the Harry Potter universe, who's related to who, who's whose mum, who's a pure blood, who's a mud blood, it's a hugely important part of the story. And again, if this is a bit too old-fashioned, books and all that kind of thing. Maybe your students might know about this very niche, small set of movies that have been out recently. They're called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Don't know if anyone's heard of them. Um, these 20-some movies are all interconnected. They're characters, the plots, these are MacGuffins called Infinity Stones. They appear and reappear in all these different stories. Now, I'm coming to the end of my very short time with you, so I just want to drill one step further into this idea of symbiotic learning. I'm trying to illustrate here, you, I've made you play a game about connection, to illustrate the connections between mathematics and all the different subjects, but it's, it goes further than skin deep. For instance, this is a beautiful sentence. We all agree it's a beautiful sentence, right? Uh, who said it? You can all tell me. Thank you, some people who appreciate the classics, right? Now, I remember saying one time to uh, one of my good friends, he's the head of English at my school, I said, Steve, what, why, and I chose my words very carefully, by the way, I said, Steve, why do we inflict this man on students all around the country, not just once, not just twice, every single year you're in high school, you have to study. I still have, I, I sometimes wake up in a cold sweat thinking, ah, Macbeth, you know, like it's, it's a part of our culture. Why do we make such a big deal out of him? And Steve said to me, well, look, you need to understand that when Shakespeare wrote his sentences, he didn't write them randomly. A sentence like this is a special sentence. Um, hands up, any English teachers in the room? Do we have any English? Okay, a few, thank you, okay. You will know this fact very well, but I did not know this when I was speaking with Steve. He said to me, this sentence is written in something called iambic pentameter. And I said, iambic pentameter? What, what does iambic pentameter mean? And he said, uh, yeah, I don't know, but it's a really big deal we tell our students to write in essays all the time. I said, well, you're no help. So I had to do some research, and this is what I found. For those of you who, like me, did not know what iambic pentameter means, you need to first understand what an I am is. And I am is a unit of English language, two syllables, emphasis on the second syllable. Two syllables, emphasis on the second. So let me see if you understand what I mean. This is going to be fun in a room like this, but let's try. Here's four words, two syllables each, and I'd like you to read them aloud with me, but please, would you place the emphasis on the second syllable, the one I've underlined. Does that make sense? I'm going to count to three, and then we'll give this a go together. One, two, three. Important. 
Address, contest, record. Okay, not bad. I was impressed, right? Let me see if you really understand. I'm going to do a bit of formative assessment here, okay? Same four words. Same four words. This time, I'd like you to read them with the emphasis on the first syllable. These are not I am's anymore, okay? Same four words again. I'm going to count to three. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Import, address, contest, record. <laughs> Half of you said record. No way. Record. Okay, very good. Now, I wonder if you noticed that when you read those words the first time and then you read them the second time, did you notice that you changed the meaning of those words? Because, you know, to record something, that's a, that's a thing you do, right? But a record, that's a thing that you play or a thing that you break. In other words, you were thinking about nouns and their related verbs. So ions really matter in English, right? They convey meaning. All right, now that we know what they are, let's come back to Shakespeare. There are some I am's in this sentence. Can you see them? Maybe if I say the sentence aloud, you'll catch it, right? Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Now, I know it's a little bit tricky because sometimes the pairs of syllables do not fall within the word. Summer, for example, as a word, is not the I am. It's a summer's day. How many I am's are there in the light? Can you count them for me? There's five, right? That's why it's called pentameter, like a pentagon has five sides. Now Shakespeare's genius, of course, is that he didn't just write in iambic pentameter for one line. Shakespeare could write in iambic pentameter for days. Now, this is 14 lines in perfect iambic pentameter. And just try, for those of you like me who are not English teachers, just try and write a single line in iambic pentameter. It is fiendishly difficult. And not only is each line perfectly measured out, the lines have structure. The lines rhyme, of course. Just have a look at the last word in each line. And when you see these groups of four, this is, of course, what we call a quatrain, quad for four. When you have three quatrains followed by a couplet, this is what we all know as a sonnet. This is sonnet number 18, probably Shakespeare's most famous. Have I convinced you? Have I illustrated that there is an energy... There's a delight in learning that flows between every KLA to every other, from mathematics to English to art to music. To me, that's the importance of having a vision of symbiotic learning. Thank you very much for your time.